Do you wonder where your food comes from? More and more people do. America's corn farmers work hard every day to grow a crop that you can be proud to serve your family. And they're doing it with an eye towards sustainability, caring for water, air, soil, and resources that fuel healthy families and more sustainable products. Take a look to find out how farmers in rural America work to make life better for all of us, from cities to their rural communities. Learn more at ncga.com. NCGA, a commitment to the future. Own the road with T-Mobile, the leader in 5G. Whether you're cruising through Nashville on I-40, heading down I-90 to Boston, or touring Santa Cruz on the 5, you'll be covered by the largest 5G network. T-Mobile covers the most interstate highway miles in America with 5G. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Most reliable according to independent third-party Umlaut from crowdsourced user experience data from January to July 2021. Fastest according to Open Signal Awards based on average speeds in USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Hi everyone, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. If you're watching it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the show, make sure to subscribe so that you get notified when a new show is released. And if you'd like to find links to videos or mp3 files, just go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com and you can also submit any eerie experiences you've had at the Submit Your Story tab. Also, hook up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where you can find information not only about new shows, but also about monthly free merchandise giveaways. So, get comfortable, enjoy this new episode, and just imagine it's a dark and stormy night where not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse. And if a creature is stirring, you hope it's a mouse. Hi, everybody. It's Marley with Miami Ghost Chronicle Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? And today I am super excited with the guest that we're going to be talking to. Uh, first of all, this is a lady who is interested and is active in a lot of different fields in the paranormal. And, and by this, I mean, and, and you know, I've mentioned it several times before that the paranormal, everybody thinks sometimes of the paranormal as just being ghost stuff and not at all. That's just one of the things. There's so many other things that could fall under that umbrella. And her name is Susan Demeter St. Clair. She's a Canadian-based anomalies researcher and writer. Now, her research and her interests are an eclectic mix and include such diverse subjects as parapsychology, parasociology, social PSI, frontier science anomalies, unidentified aerial phenomena, Western esoteric knowledge and philosophy, chaos, magic, folklore, and synchronicity, among other areas. So there's a lot to talk to her about, but you know that the first thing I'm going to ask her about is, after I welcome her, how are you doing today, Sue? Oh, I'm great. I'm, I'm so happy to be talking to you no, today, too. Um, Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. On the contrary, it is my pleasure. And my audience knows that I always ask all my guests, how did you become involved in this field? Was it childhood interest and experience or something that you got involved in as an adult? Uh, as, a, as a serious sort of researcher, it obviously was more of an adult. It was, a, it was a choice that I had made to pursue as an adult based more on childhood, I guess, experiences where I feel um, it sort of chose me versus me sort of choosing it, so to speak. Okay. Um, I did have that. I, I did have a bunch of experiences as a child that, at the time, I sort of related to the lens of a child and perhaps pop culture. 
and sort of family abuses, sort of ghost experiences. But later on, as an adult, they sort of um, took on more the, the the narrative of an like a, um, a UFO experience. Okay. So I sort of started off as a as, as sort of exploring UFOs and getting into ghosts, and it just like snowballed from there for me. Anyway, I just love all these topics. Okay. And, and that's, you know, I tell everybody, everybody sometimes wants to put the paranormal as like one thing or the other. And even though some of them are quite separate, they all have that, I want to say sometimes um, they fall under that, that umbrella of sometimes not having sharp linear edges as far as reproduction, you know, reproduction as far as in the lab, for example, or proof. And, you know, sometimes there's a headbutting with hard science. So, um, and have you had, uh, any, uh, close encounter? Have you ever seen a UFO? I have had three, uh, UFO experiences that, um, that were quite dramatic and they sort of, uh, occurred for me. I, I am now calling them more UFO initiation. Okay. First one was, was, I was 23 years old at the time and, uh, I had been, um, at the time, I, my, I had two small children, and I had just I had put them to bed, and I was in, living in this sort of tenth floor uh, condominium overlooking Lake On. So at that time, and I, I was up late, and I was watching a, I, I'll never forget this Elvira's Mistress of the Dark film. Yeah, uh, I remember that. <laughs> and yeah. So it was November fourth. It was just after like that Halloween, and I was still in that sort of mode, and I was watching this film with my then brother-in-law. And as it was my habit, because I lived on this 10th floor condominium, I had these sliding glass doors out onto this, this uh, audio. Okay. And I would, I had a lock in my husband at that time, um, put these extra locks on it to make sure the kids could never get out of the balcony. Uh, and so I went to go and lock them and I saw this huge glowing red sort of ball of light through the glass doors. And I was, I remember looking back towards the television set, which just, film was just or the Elvira was just ending giving it, you know, just a reflection. What, what is it? Right. And then I realized it was something outside. And I went and I I opened the door and I went out and I was in my wearing my pajamas at the time. It was very late. It was about one o'clock in the morning and I noticed this huge it was almost like octagonal red shaped pulsing orb. And I remember staring at it for probably uh, maybe 30 seconds or so. And I yelled out to my brother-in-law, who, who had stayed up to watch this film with me. And uh, and he came out and we were looking at this and we were kind of freaking out. Like, what the heck yeah. is this? And he found it. And it was near in the vicinity of the nuclear generating station. So it was over this nuclear power plant. It was over the lake. We were looking at this thing. And at some point, my brother-in-law said, "I think we're seeing a UFO," and okay. I, I, honestly, I couldn't, I, I couldn't argue with him. And it was so incredible. And I remember saying to him very cryptically, and this came back to me later in memory. I don't, I didn't remember saying right away, but I said, "We know, we can see that." And then at that point, this thing to me seemed to implode on itself, this big ball of glowing light in the sky, and it shot straight up, and it was gone. Wow. And I remember staying up all night. Like, I didn't sleep at all that night. We were up talking. What I was bet. it? it was, it was, it was both of us. 
And uh, this was pre-internet days, so I couldn't just jump on Google or, or look up Twitter or see if anyone else had seen something. So right. I just I, I looked at the newspapers of the following day, and I couldn't see anything. I remember thinking to myself, we couldn't have been alone seeing this. Exactly. And uh, but then I, I didn't really know who to turn to. Um, so I ended up going to the library because I wasn't really into UFOs at that point. I, I, whenever I thought I had all these ghostly experiences as a child, I never kind of connected the two. And uh, and I found um, a, uh, a, a UFO book which I took out, and it sort of started me down the road from there uh, as far as trying to research what this could have been, uh, which eventually got me involved in, in some UFO community and, and groups like MUFON and that which okay. were investigating at the time. So it sort of started from that point forward. Okay. Uh, yeah. So and that, I, I view that now as sort of an initiation experience. I'm going to tell you that. something. That's quite an initiation because a lot of people, they're first, they're like kind of like, they, that, I, and it's really interesting what you say because your first thought is you're thinking of something plausible, like something like, you know, is it a reflection? And, you know, you're not thinking UFO. You're thinking, what's what's causing this? And also, yeah. what you mentioned is you're thinking the next day. You know, why are people running around the street saying, "Hey, what is that?" You know. And sometimes not everybody. There's like sometimes there's coverage. I want to say now there seems to be more coverage of things like that. But back then, and it yeah. was like it it would go unreported. It would, and a lot of people didn't know who to turn to. I mean, yeah. I certainly, I didn't know, you know, anything really about the subject prior to then, or that there was this grassroots movement such as with QFOS or with MUFON. I did find um, a book by uh, Dr. Alan Hynek, uh, who um, was very prominent in the field and, and was part of Project Blue Book. I don't know how much you know about UFOs, but right. some of your audience may, some of the listeners may uh, know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and I found that, but he had unfortunately passed away, but I wrote this entire letter out, a handwritten letter, going back to 1990, okay. and unfortunately, it came back, returned to sender, because it was, you know, he had passed away, and oh. the address for the back of the book was gone, so I, I kept that uh, with me, until my kids were much older, and then I... Uh, it was in the early days of the internet, so about 96, 97 in there, I started to look for UFOs on the internet. Okay. The internet, and this is where I started finding other people and other researchers. And I was, oh, hey, there are these people on there, you know, some really intelligent people out there that yes. are, are looking into this. And this is really cool. And so, again, that's how it all kind of started for me. Um and then I began sort of uh, as well looking into um, spook lights, which are sort of anomaly lights that were occurring here in Ontario. And okay. it was occurring in a place called the Ghost Road. So this sort of brought me into that ghostly realm. And, uh, and, and I started drawing parallels between ghosts and UFOs at that point and okay. other sort of spooky 14 topics. They're, they actually have a lot in common. Right, and, 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 and I know some people, and I guess whether you want to think of it as the internet or more people being more, you know, out front about their experiences, but, you know, I, I know there's people that track correlations between UFO sightings, sightings of cryptids, other unusual phenomena, like there's an uptick all around the same time or sometimes the same location. 
Yes, and sometimes um, it will start off, like for me, I, I felt that I had grown up in a haunted house. I had experiences with sort of these little people that wow. I had figured were ghosts. Um, I come from a family where my mother saw ghosts. My, my, my grandmother did as well. Right. After I had my, uh, my UFO experience, and my father was a pilot, and uh, he at, at different points was for the Department of National Defense, and he saw UFOs in the Gulf of Mexico in the 1950s. And I didn't know that until I told him what happened to me at age 23. I was like, Dad, you're going to think I'm crazy, but you know, I think I saw a UFO. And he was no, no, I, I, I believe that there's something to this. I saw something similar wow. many years ago. So I've come from that family background where it was sort of open to discuss these things. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and yeah, I do think that sometimes people will have ghostly experiences and then later go on to have like sort of these larger experiences in the sky or it can be vice versa they will have like a some strange ufo anomaly in the sky type thing and then they'll start having poltergeist experiences mm -hmm. in their home yes yes so it, there seems to be some dovetailing between the two i know there are some people that really want to keep it separate like oh you know people people who believe in ghosts well they're they're the crazy people you know but obviously right. aliens are true and then there are other people who are like, oh, you know, like, we don't want anything to do with these alien nonsense. But, you know, obviously, <laughs> most are true. So, I mean, you know, like, I know there are some that like to keep the topic separate, but I do see them as sort of, there are, when you start removing the narrative of what they could be and just looking at the mechanics behind things, um, ghosts have been seen to, they apparently um, go through walls. Uh, UFO occupants or pilots have been described going through walls. Um, people tend to have uh, UFO experiences in very liminal sort of places, isolated country roads and crossroads, yes. things like that. People tend to see ghosts in very liminal spaces, in staircases, at windows and doorways, things of that nature. When you start looking at that, and even examining more symbolic content between the two sort of experiences, there is a lot they have in common. So I'm not saying they are the same thing, but it's something you can't ignore, you know, in my opinion. Well, you know, and I belong to MUFON, and I also belong to a group down here in, uh, in South Florida that, you know, people get together, everybody's, you know, it's, it's, it's about UFOs, of course, and things of that nature. And, you know, afterwards people will talk and, there's a good portion of people that after they had some type of encounter or sighting for them with UFOs, it's almost like they described to me where things got peculiar in their lives sometimes as far as uh, feelings, you know, and I'm not even, I'm not even talking uh, alien visitation or abduction, just that I want to say like they're life got uh especially at night like a paranormal feel to it whether sometimes they 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 had never had ghostly encounters they started seeing sensing things it was like the before and the after of the ufo sighting was the demarcation yes it's like all of a sudden the floodgates of weirdness open and, yes yes and then and some people do go on to have many experiences afterwards and even with the, the experiences themselves, this is, I'm very interested in people who have sort of um, what I would term the high strangeness. 
Right. Uh, and that would be experiences with UFOs where there is telepathy, where there is a seeming sort of EFT or um, anything that's sort of, you know, to cross over into the paranormal versus just the nuts and bolts sighting of a, of a spaceship or a strange light in the sky. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing that for a lot of these people, because I, I, I know there's, ufologists out there that like you said they're into the nuts and bolts you know what did it look like how what was the angle that it went yeah and that's that's it that that event is really what they're interested in period whatever you saw or whatever or in some case if you're lucky enough to be able to have taken a picture of it but i think there's a like i said more than one person has described that that's happened to them um where there's and, and then you think to yourself okay was it something around you that was there along? Did something shift in your brain that now you're more aware of these things? Like what what was what happens to you that allows well, that, you to do that or see that? Yeah, and that I think is where some of the ufology has really dropped the ball in just sort of chasing the idea of the UTH and the um, the extraterrestrial hypothesis. And uh, and just a really nuts and bolts sort of tell me, you know, about the craft or tell me about this as opposed to focusing on the witnesses. And then also trying to kind of bring this type of respectability to the subject where people are genuinely afraid to give the full story. Yes. And I find more that, that this, when I go out into the field and I like to talk to people one-on-one -on -one in person as opposed to just internet or telephone, then when you're sitting with someone and having a cup of coffee and, and you know, I try to break the ice with people, um, then they'll start telling me more and the, the, the experience becomes richer. Like they know that they, that there might be things that they'll preface it with, you know, I saw this, that the guy in the sky, please don't think I'm a crazy person, but then this happened. And that the right. strange thing might be, they saw, you know, I, I saw this thing and then I ended up, um, on, uh, you know, pulling into my driveway and there was a strange rabbit that was, Flag and it yes. kind of popped away, and then and they don't want to say it, and then and obviously in some cases with real nuts and bolts people they don't even want to hear it or they oh, want no. that in what they're examining. But I think that that is the key. These little bits of high strangeness, um, being owls. Owls tend to play a part uh, in this as well. People will have strange experiences with owls. Really? They, yeah. Um, uh, my friend Mike uh, Cullen has written a book on this, um, which is Messengers, and in, in regards to people that are having experiences uh, with owls, at the time they're also having UFO experiences. And, I mean, these are things that nuts and bolts people might want to put aside, but they, to me they are interesting little um, nuggets of information that when we mm -hmm. take these, they might provide clues. I, I look at these as almost symbolic uh, in content, perhaps, and, uh, and and as well, like looking at, at the witness and, and what they may be going on, what may be, what's going on in their lives at the time, much like you would uh, in parapsychology with a poltergeist person on the focus of a poltergeist. You're going to look at the person and what's going on with them, as opposed to just the things that the events that are happening around them, you know. And that might give us some more clues as to you know, or or at least open up more questions than just the standard nuts and bolts sort of investigation hat. Yeah, it's exactly, because they do kind of like the dragnet, just the facts, ma'am, only the facts. I was like, okay, well, you know what, there's a lot of times what I say is like, 
it's not maybe only what you saw is how do you feel or what did you feel uh, yeah. versus sometimes even what you thought, you know, two different things, yeah. two different things. You could be thinking one thing about feeling another. Um, yeah. and, um, and, and I know, it, and this has to do a lot of that, you know, I've discussed this uh, with other people that, you know, that we, you know, a lot of times we think of UFOs and extraterrestrials and et cetera as visiting us from outer space as in some type of spaceship, how they do it, who knows. But then we discuss what if they're traveling interdimensionally and this also accounts for, you know, sightings of cryptids, you know, is, it, is, is there a portal, is there a rip? Are they coming through and some things are hopping through when they open up to come into our, dim- I mean, it doesn't have to be just a space linear concept of travel. Exactly. And I, and I think in my own personal view, it was something that I sort of latched on to very early on with that sort of um, nuts and bolts ETH sort of look at UFOs uh, because really there wasn't anything else and there wasn't the internet. And I, I was very, it was such a shock to me. But over time, I sort of evolved my views to move away from the ETH. I mean, it still could be something that's alien or extraterrestrial. But in my opinion, whatever it is, is occurring on Earth. It's occurring to human beings and sometimes animals. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be focusing more on that. It may not be alien at all. Um, recently, I, I just came back um, from a trip to Italy where I was doing research on a group of witches from the Middle Ages that were having experiences that are similar in some ways to the modern um, Really? Um, yes. And, uh, and also involved lights in the sky. But I, I came across an interesting um, sort of report. It was very well documented by the Catholic Church at the time. It was around the 11th century, where multiple witnesses saw this large dragon, and they describe it as a, you know, as a dragon, in the sky. And apparently it had been terrorizing this town, and they managed to um, knock this dragon out down from the sky. And, uh, and I, I'm assuming they killed it, but I, I, that part I'm not clear on. But when you start breaking down the idea that these are people living, you know, in medieval yes. science and we're talking about a flying dragon, it starts taking on very much the same narrative of a UFO shoot sure. down, a UFO crash. Um, exactly. So I used to think that people were maybe this. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks making spaceships for, um, and, and just using the language of their trying to describe things, but I, exactly. I really, 
I've changed my mind though on that. I now think these people were describing exactly what they were seeing. Right. But it's phenomena itself that has changed its form. A spaceship is more palatable to a 21st century world that is oriented towards, you know, space travel and space exploration. Um, people today, you, you can talk to people. The majority of people on the street will, will probably tell you that they believe in aliens or the possibility of life outside of this planet ahead of, say, angels or dragons or things of that nature. So I have to wonder if perhaps it is the phenomena that's changed how we perceive it through our human lenses as just these people back in time making a misperception. Like, I was just, it's, I'm just speculating, but if you, this type of trying to turn things around in our minds and perhaps ask different questions that might, you know, move these sort of studies forward, at least I think so. And you also have to think that, let's say, let's go to, like, to that example that you gave medieval times, you know, anything secular was, you, you could, the next thing you know, you're burning at the stake as a heretic. So what if these people were couching it in the safest way possible that the church would say, okay, because can you imagine you're describing something that is really, really, truly otherworldly, you know? So it's like, okay, yeah. we saw something, let's just call it a dragon and that way it'll be safe and you know, the church will say, oh, you know, maybe from the devil or say, you know, because back then everything had to be, you know, if you wanted to stay on the right side of that, you didn't want to stray too far from something that, uh, like you said, that the Catholic religion could say, oh, okay, we know what that is. That's a dragon. And God knows what interpretation they gave. I don't know if you want, if you ever, you know, if they just documented it or gave any explanation to the people that lived there, but it was a safe interpretation. Maybe there were people there looking at this thing and going what in the you know in other words they knew perfectly well that it wasn't a dragon but well well exactly i mean that that is a possible scenario it's also possible that they were just they they were experiencing it because they were pulling from their own sort of knowledge and oh yeah of course like another exactly if you see something and let's face it back then maybe the closest and, and i imagine back in medieval times you your your general population did not have access to books or or were literate for that fact. So then maybe they just heard about a dragon that spits out. You know, what's what's the characteristics of a dragon that flies around and eats people exactly. and maybe breathes fire, whatever. And like you said, maybe this is like okay, it's it's in it's flying, it's weird. Oh, that must be a dragon. So that's very possible. Exactly. So I mean. Um, in my opinion, the one thing that, that is that we can, you know, as, as researchers, that we can agree on is the fact that these experiences have been occurring at least since written record of, of humanity. Like people have been describing ghosts, people have been describing UFO type experiences, and other sorts of strange sort of crypto-like things. I mean, uh, and, and speaking of the cryptos, they too with Bigfoot. I was talking with my friend uh, Josh Clifton, who um, contributed to a, a volume, I think it was called Whipsnot, about Bigfoot. And he was drawing parallels between Bigfoot and poltergeists, the strange smells that are produced by Bigfoot, the knocks that you hear in the, in, 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 that are associated with them, like you hear these strange knocks, like raps. That's something that you also find in poltergeist cases, these strange raps. Um, so there's there's evidence there to sort of say maybe there's some correlation as well and he, he actually calls bigfoot sort of like the uh 
the poltergeist of the forest. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not? So, I mean, there are these, they may or may not be related, but when you start, again, stripping away the storyline um, that's identifying and just looking at these sorts of things that people are describing, wood not strange smells, these types of things, they, they also occur with uh, UFOs. Yes. People describe the pilots of UFOs as smelling almost sulfuric, almost demonic. Really? Um, and they behave sometimes in ways that people would describe as demons or demonic in that they, you know, they, they behave almost like an old keg where there, there's, there's pressure on the chest and there's sort of sexual interference and all these sorts of things that you can go back in time and say, hey, if you just remove the word demon and insert alien, it sounds similar. Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like there's Yes, there's yes, exactly. Like that if you weren't looking at, it's more the description of the experience versus what's actually causing it. They're very similar. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, and, um, and I want to say that, I, I guess there's two types of experiences along those lines. I want to say there's like, a very impersonal one, which is where you see something, for example, whether it's the light or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the extent of it. That's that's all that happens. You, you wig out because, of course, you, you know, after you check off all the plausible stuff, you know that th- this is something that doesn't belong there. But that's the end of it. But then there's other people that it just, you know, then you go into the persons that then they uh, have abduction uh, either recall of abductions or visitations at night. Uh, like in other words, their their life is meshed up into that UFO ET experience. Um, and like I say, okay, you know what? Okay, let's say you do have somebody who's not well, has mental illness, and they describe this. And I'm sure that that accounts for some, but there's too many people uh, describing or recalling experiences like that, sometimes since childhood, for them, all of all of them to be, uh, you know, having a hallucination or anything like that. Well, um, yeah, I think that that is really a lazy sort of interpretation from um, certain skeptical quarters, which are not even really being skeptical because they're not questioning, they're just, they're auto-denying. Right. Um, and so mental illness is thrown out, mass hallucination is often thrown out, things are mass hysteria and different things. And, and often, I actually chuckle at some of this stuff because it really doesn't fit what people are experiencing and what they're saying. Uh, it's the same with the UFOs. People will, will try to, you know, explain away other people's experiences with their, like, you know, they're stupid, like they don't know what a plane looks like. I mean, we, we've had aviation now for more than 100 years. Exactly. Uh, people know most people know when they look up in the sky what a plane is there's a difference between a plane and something mm-hmm. very strange and anomalous um the thing is is that all these subjects are they, well they're very subjective experiences so we, it's best i think in my opinion to sort of examine the one tangible component of all of it and that is the human being at the heart of the story uh, because a human being has had some very strange experience. I mean, they're describing it the best they can through a very human lens. Sure. Um, and sure. that, to me, is the most interesting thing. So I, I like to tell people that when you're telling me you're a kid, there's no judgment there. I, I don't care how wild and, 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 and your story seems to sound or how you feel. I feel that that, that it is that 
that the, those absurd details, those little details that, that just make the whole thing absurd, that that may be the key to helping us unlock some of this. Those really absurd little things that happen that people tend to shy away from. You know, right. like they, 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 they'll, they'll be they'll happy to say the basic story, but then when they get to that little point of very high strangeness, they, they try to hold back because they... You know, I, I can't count how many times people have said, please don't judge me, please don't think I'm crazy. And I, I truly, I genuinely feel bad because, you know, people shouldn't have to feel that way. They're describing exactly what they've experienced. And in doing this now for more than 20 years, I would say the vast majority of people are honest. And they're yes. not embellishing and they're not. They exactly. Need, they just need somebody to say, you know, yeah, that's weird. I, I I can't answer any of these questions. I can. I always tell people I'll never be able to give you a hundred percent foolproof answer. I don't know what these things are, but I do know they exist. I do know they happen to people, and they and it's across the board. You know, crazy people don't question their sanity. They they don't. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. And 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 lots of times when these people have these experiences, they they themselves are trying to. They're, they're wanting to find a rational explanation for it. They're like really trying to find like something that I can say, oh, okay, that's, it's okay. You know, it's like, oh, it's a whatever. Uh, before they come up against the wall and realize okay, none of that fits. So what's left is this other explanation that this isn't a, a UFO, uh, whatever the case might be. You know, and, I, and I, depending also what where people live, if it's a rural or an urban area, and I tell people like, you know, a lot of these uh, sightings of whether there were extraterrestrials or UFOs from ancient times or earlier times, you know, pe- people don't realize back then there was something like this would be very visible. There was not a lot of the artificial lighting that we have, let's say in the night sky, for example, yeah. um, where anything that you would see back then, it would, you would notice it. You would see it. It would be very difficult not to see it so when they describe certain things certain ways it's not like okay i'm confusing it with what there was nothing there there was no airplanes there was no artificial lighting the skies were very dark uh and you had just basically starlight and maybe moonlight if the moon was out depending on you know where it was at but that was about it so when things people saw this especially at night it was they had a pretty clear view of what they were seeing and what, what they were describing yes and they and they were describing, I believe, exactly what they were seeing. Um, at least that's what my, my sort of working sort of uh, idea is going with what people were seeing back then, how they were describing, how they were using um, art and that to explore these ideas of the sacred and their experiences with these types of strange anomalies. Um, and and it is it is true. Like today, people tend to be very distracted. Right. They tend you, you know, be, be more looking at their phone than say the night yes. sky. So I often wonder as well, has, has the um, sort of uh, phenomena itself sort of changed itself in its, in its behavior? Like now we see a lot of shadow people. Yes. Shadow people are, are, are often reported. But if you look back to the literature, um, like through this society, it's like the research and other um, literature going back, pre-internet days, pre-computers and that, you really don't see much. You might get like a shadowy mask. Right. 
or something like that. But now we have like fully formed sort of shadow paint. And I often wonder if this has something to do with the age that we're living in, like the information age. And I'll try to, I'll try to bring my ideas out so that they make some okay. sense, I hope. But I'm kind of thinking that perhaps because the shadow people really have no discernible features. Um, sometimes you could maybe guess at their gender, but beyond that, they don't really have discernible features. They're shadowy. They're 2D almost. Right. Um, is this a reflection of more the, the way we are relating towards other human beings through the internet, which is very two-dimensional? Um, is this sort of now the phenomena itself sort of um, gaining our attention, so to speak, or displaying in the way that we're sort of living in the modern age? Uh, it's, this is just a thought that I'm throwing out there. I can right, wrong. right. I know what you're saying. And, and I know exactly what you mean. Like all of a sudden, this has becomes everybody as it had this experience but if like you said prior to a certain time period it like it was relatively unheard of yeah and... i mean there are there's always exceptions to the rules i'm sure that you know somebody out there might say hey but i found this and it was in a text from like 1800 but for the vast majority no it's like pre sort of um 1980s you really don't see shadow people being talked about people were describing ghosts in a different way and right. now the, the majority of uh, reports and things that I'm seeing are more oriented towards the shadow people. Right. So I, I just it's it's that. almost like they're well, and, and, and I'm going to give you an example. And I tell you know this is uh, this is back like you said pre advent of the internet. This was back then, like during the light 1980s. And I had mm -hmm. a coworker of mine, and I was in my 20s, and she was a little bit younger. And she starts telling me now she lived in a two bedroom apartment. Uh, well, her, her, by the time we were having this conversation, her mom had passed away, but with her dad. And this is like in the suburb of Miami, very, very modern setting, in other words. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about ghosts and stuff like that. And she tells me how when she's a teenager in her bedroom one day, she wakes up. And and this is in relations to, you know, one of these phenomena that they call hat man, which sometimes yeah. goes hat in, hand in hand with a shadow man. Yeah. So she's telling me how one day she wakes up and she sees at the foot of her bed the equivalent of almost like a shadow man, but he has a top hat on. And I remember looking at her going, he had a what on? Like, where was he going? To the opera? A top hat? Like, it was, I've never forgotten it just because her description was so out of place. And obviously she did not know. She says uh -huh. that when she woke up, she says that it was such a horrible feeling of dread that it was, she says she just covered like a lot of people do they just she just covered her head up and oh, she, she started praying kidding. you know like and as a matter of fact like within a year her mom passed away her mom had a heart condition her mom passed away and everything and i remember this because like you said later on when this thing came on like shadow man and then hat man i was like wait a minute she's telling me this story back in the 1980s because it was such a weird event and of all things to have a man or like like a type of shadow man with a top hat it's like of all the yeah. things that you would think that she would see that would exactly. be exactly that's a that, that is a strange one yes um, I, I did one of the first ghost uh investigations i did um back in the 90s uh was at a hotel and uh it very haunted hotel here in uh, the Toronto area called the Guild Inn. It, it, at the time, um, was still operational, uh, and now it's sort of it's semi-operational. 
uh, it was shut down for many, many years and it was left in a very decrepit state. But just before, prior to that, I was able to get in there. It was a historic hotel um, overlooking Lake Ontario. So very picturesque, a lot of art in that and it's set in this woods and it's sort of very ambient sort of place. But it, the hotel was haunted and the thing that, that interested me the most was this experience of uh, a young sous chef who was apprenticing that summer. And the hotel, because of its beautiful grounds, was host to many weddings. And the chef, his experience that he was saying, he was in the kitchens one day and he was uh, chopping vegetables. When this man walks in from a side door and he's in a full sort of like dark black suit uh, with this large sort of, and he described it as an Abraham Lincoln pop-up. Okay. I thought, okay, well, that's odd. Uh -huh. um, and then uh, and, and then he said that it, it, First, he was like, you know, why is this person here? And then he thought, well, maybe it was a wedding guest or someone from a wedding party that had accidentally come in the staff area in the kitchen area. And he, you know, you can't really be in here. No, no, you're going to have to go away. So this man apparently walked through this open door, walked through the entire kitchen area, negotiating all these counters with vegetables and prep stuff with. And he says, what really tweaked him out is that as he watched this man and he was going to say, hey, you know, you can't be in this area. He seemingly walks through a closed door. Oh. This chef was just totally floored. And he said it took him about a minute to just sort of recover himself. And he, he went out and he opened this door. He went running out into the hallway towards this reception area of the hotel, uh, looking for where is this person? And he asked me at the time the person who was working at the reception desk, have you seen this man, this tall man, walk by with this big, you know, Abraham Lincoln top hat? And, uh, and, and she was saying no. And, and he swore that there is no way that anyone could get in and out of that area without walking past the reception area. So he had assumed it was one of the hotel's many ghosts. And he was so unnerved by the experience. He was only apprenticing there for a summer that he managed to do a few more shifts and then he, he put his job. He left. Um, it, it, it unnerved him that much. But it wasn't until a few years after that had been sort of investigated that hotel and it had closed down and that that this idea of this, this hat man uh, sprung up all over the internet and I, I always wondered if perhaps what this man saw was somehow related to that but i i have also talked to other people who have seen sort of hat men stick men and things like that it seemed to be an internet phenomenon but right. they there are other are always examples of these types of things free to that so i i have to wonder if it's somehow related or, you know in the case that you were describing it was maybe some sort of a harbinger or a, a more of an archetype than a spirit or something like that right which of, which even when you think about it, it's like mm, I, uh, it's like okay because it's it's almost like and I know what you're saying it's like you would think something like this if if it would have been seen even let's say pre-internet you know turn of the century there would have been somebody saying you know writing a story uh, about describing that ghost that looked like a whatever and yeah um, and they seem to they, there seem to be some that that, that follow this sort of um archetype of, of you, know, you have a lot of women in black women right. in white women in green um right. sort of apparition uh or, or sort of these 
specific type of apparitions. And then there are other ones that you really don't have. Like, I don't think I've come across any modern sort of chain rattling ghosts. That no, you kind of right, right, exactly. Yeah, like... yeah, yeah, the text of that era that sort of, you know, um, describes that sort of thing. You don't really see them anymore but in the well... modern day and age. If, if you remember like uh, earlier this, well, turn of this, well, not this century, I forget. <laughs> but turn of the century, you know, with spiritualism where um, all these uh, psychics would have to, were producing ectoplasm out of different places in their bodies. And it was like, this was the norm when you were doing some type of spirit contact. And I was like, man, that's, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that, that stopped in other words, but that was like part of the, proof that you were having some type of uh like that this was a real psychic event or a co contact with the dead was that they could produce <laughs> ectoplasm yes and that is sort of um when you look at that there were so many at the time that were sort of busted as hoaxes yes and that it that it was a form of trickery like that they were but then there are other cases that are not so easy to to sort of debunk or put aside and there is a sort of tradition, almost a magical tradition behind that in the trickery, where you can have... For the ones going above and beyond. For the ones reaching out, helping out, and lending a hand. For the ones people count on. You can count on Granger. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. Backed by 24-7 customer support and specialists to help with hard-to-find products. Because you've got everyone's back. We've got yours. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With MailChimp, you get more than a URL. You get an all in one marketing platform to help drive sales with things like data driven recommendations and powerful automation tools. Get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. These sorts of characters that we're doing yes there was hosting involved but there was also real side real psychic things happening around mm -hmm. them. um it's, it's like with for instance madame Lavatsky and others of that era that yes there there's some of the things you can look at and you think okay there, there's some chicanery going on here but perhaps from that chicanery itself springs forth some of this magic or some of these psychic things that do happen that make you scratch your head but wait a second so we can debunk some of this but other stuff is not so easily explained and that is true even of, of shamanic practices and shaman going back to ancient times where you have sort of this idea of trickery or this trickster-like aspect of, right. uh, of, of, the, of this particular uh, practitioner or, you know, in a medium or psychic medium that may be producing ectoplasm, um, but also having strange other things like apples and things also occurring that are not so easily written off or explained away. Yeah. Well, you, I, and I kind of have a theory on this, and this is what I tell her because the supernatural is not an on-demand event, just like if you are psychic or you have mediumship abilities. And let's say you were one of these people that were basically were paying your bills Let's say you were one, you were holding seances and you were paying your bills. You might really have been a legitimate psychic or a medium, but maybe it was not something that you could do every day or on certain days. You were just not feeling well. 
But here you are. You got to pay your bills. You got to keep a roof over your head. So maybe there were times that people, they fell back onto, like you said, tricks. But that didn't mean that they weren't real. It's just like they were human beings where it was like, I'm tired. Or I just can't do this today. Or I feel sick. But I've got a room full of people expecting some type of spirit communication. Well, yeah, and and the thing too is that it, it it's not necessarily um, like I think that it is actually part of the phenomena itself because when you look at some of the poltergeist focuses as well, mm-hmm. um, going back in time, there's a famous parapsychologist named Fodor, and he wrote extensively about how these people would have genuine sort of these sometimes very frightening psychic type experiences as poltergeists. And then later they would go on to hopes. And some, in some cases, he thought they, they didn't even realize they were hoaxing. They were just doing it almost by rote. So okay. there's like reasons of there's psychological reasons as to why that might be. But I think that, in fact, the entire, all these sort of paranormal subjects have sort of tricksterish like things about them. Uh, there's a book called uh, The Trickster and the Paranormal by George Hansen, George P. Hansen, and I highly, highly recommend it to okay. anybody who goes or into psychic or into UFOs. Uh, it, it's a very sort of heavy, it's a magnum sort of this book, but it gets into all these subjects and he really has done a lot of research, including into skeptics and yes. how they too produce trickery. James Randi was known for fudging his numbers. There was this famous case where, you know, he had this break with Cyclops because he literally cooked the books more or less. Right. His million-dollar prize. It is designed never to be won, and he he knew that. Okay, like he knows. Um, Yes. So I mean, there's trickery there as well. So this is it's a very interesting book to say that this. These experiences are real. They do happen to people. People have experienced those. Yes. But there's this trickery that also, when you start examining people that have these experiences, when you start examining professional sort of psychics and things like that, there is always that trickster element, that pixie-ishness that, that, that seems to be running through all of this as well. Right. You know? Exactly, I mean, and and and, and let me tell you, that, I, th- I I want to say, like in part of part of what you're saying, the human, you know, our egos. Let's say if let's say if you have some type of fame attached to your name, that let's say, well, like you said, Harry Price when he was doing the investigation of Borley Rectory, yes, and you know you're supposed to be preeminent, and hey, if you're investigating, it's like watch out. Can you imagine you walk away and say, I, I didn't, nothing happened, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that's true. And, and, and that's the thing. None of these things happen on cue. This is why right. we can't, you know, like they, they have a lot of wonderful work in the care labs, on, on parapsychology and the Divine Institute and that lab work. But overall, these things are very spontaneous. They, they just don't happen on cue. So yes. there is always that sort of spontaneous, tricksterish, sort of pixie type thing that surrounds all of these. You know, you never hear somebody who actually wills the ghost and the ghost appears. It's it's always at some strange moment where you're not expecting it and the camera's not handy. Oh, God, that is very common. Or, you know, or the recorder's not, you know, handy. Like, there's a famous sort of poltergeist 
case that I remember from Britain, um, John and Ann Spencer had investigated it where they had this whole house wired up with uh, recording equipment uh, and, and they had the people out, they had the house sealed uh, and lots of lots of physical phenomena had been occurring there. They get into the house uh, about five minutes after they, because we were going back into the days of analog, so we had these chemo flip tapes and things like that. They come in and make this large, heavy ceramic duct that had been on the fireplace, and it was now sitting in the middle of the floor. Wow. So, but you know what? The tapes never caught it because the camera had stopped. And mm-hmm. so they figured that within that five minute window of them, the camera stopping and then them going to go and flip tapes and, and do what they had to do, this is when the, the strange thing occurred. It's almost as if there's that cheeky sort of yes. tricksterish, like, ha ha ha. You know, right. this is, you're, 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 you're trying to catch some proof as far as photographs are concerned, and it's not going to happen, um, yes. you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? There's been more than one paranormal team, who, like you said, that they've rolled out all their all the stuff that – I was going to call it something – all the equipment that they have nowadays for – and nothing happens or very – and as soon as they start breaking stuff down, like just like you said, they're discon- stuff is disconnected and turned off. Then they yeah. hear, like with their own ears, it's like, oh my God. You know, they'll hear footsteps, some type of phenomena. They're like, what? And it's like, okay, exactly like what you said. Now I know that there's like, ha, ha, ha. Guess who exactly. has the last laugh? <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's the same thing as people trying to collect EVP. It always seems to either come in bisecting somebody's uh, conversation or after something happens after the cameras are, are, are put away or the equipment's passed away and people are, you know, having their coffee and chit-chatting and that's when something happens. And it, it's funny because I think as well of the Skinwalker Ranch in Utah mm-hmm. uh, where uh, the billionaire uh, Robert Bigelow had spent a lot of money with Minty hired some of the best scientists in the country. Uh, he, you know, they, they had all this top-end equipment, and they were, you know, day and night trying to record things in this ranch that has had some very, very strange and often frightening yes. uh, paranormal phenomena, and yet none of these scientists were ever able to get any concrete evidence. Right. Of, but, but yet many of them went on to have very frightening sort of experiences, like seeing sort of like this balls of light with these strange sort of beings seemingly coming from the ball of light. You know, paddle mutilations and other strange, really bizarre things going on there. And yet, with all this heavy duty scientific stuff, they weren't able to. It's, it's almost as if it's one step ahead or it's, it's, it's sort of confusing you, like, you know, haha, you can have all this, but you're not going to touch me. <laughs> Let me ask you now that you mentioned. Now that you brought up Skinwalker Ranch, the last thing I heard, and I haven't kept up with it lately, was that they had basically stopped bringing in teams because a lot of the phenomena had moved away, like it had stopped, kind of. And they were hoping that by closing it down, in other words, and not allowing people to run around trying to capture evidence that whatever phenomena was there would start returning. Uh, Yeah, and I think that it's under, someone new owns it now, it is private property. Um, So people can't just just come up and visit, but I mean... It is under new sort of ownership, and and my what I sort of heard is that that things are going on there still, um, okay. but the, the the scientific sort of side of it, I don't know if it's still that's going on. But I do know that a lot of what was published by uh, Bigelow's team and and Nid, they they really 
they had nothing concrete because it, it kept changing. Like it was, right, right, it not, yes. Not like it was reoccurring all the time in the same place every day, and so they, they can do their sort of scientific measurements and analysis. It was, you know, it was happening in different ways into different people, and sometimes actually following them home. Right, um, and and, and they, obviously what the, what happened originally with a family before they, you know, when they first started having their experiences, which was like when you. When you hear what they went through, it's like, wow. You know, they weren't out there. They, they're ranchers. You know, they're not walking around yeah. with, with cameras trying to capture evidence. They're just, they can't figure out what's going on. But it was very yeah. unusual what was going on there on that piece of land. And apparently, even before, with the, with the Navajo people that had um, sort of investigated themselves and said that there was just something really um, unholy or something wrong with that area or that place land or something there is very you know it's not happy obviously there's a lot of negative experiences that people are having here so you know but that's just one more example of that sort of tricksterish like thing it's, it's like um as well with the ghost hunting shows they do go up to very real locations but a lot of the stuff that you're seeing obviously is not happening as there as it's being portrayed it's because yeah. it's it's not like you know you can a ghost is going to be like a trained seal and just do what it, you tell it to do, right? Or a dog. Exactly. Exactly. So, so there is that element of trickery there, even though it is a real haunted location. You know, even though some of the information may be correct and true, you have to look at it because there's that entertainment aspect to sure. it that 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 is of course blends in with the idea of trickery or entertainment or sort of you know. Awesome. Right, we just like we he spent all this time there. And we got oh, your show was running around. It's talking to thin air, and nothing happens. It's like oh, <laughs> that's the end of that show. Yeah, yeah. So it's well, I always like them to travel logs more than anything because they do go to these places that are very mm -hmm. interesting. You know, right. uh, many of us will never have the chance to go to. But at the same point, you can't expect that something is going to happen on cue. It just doesn't work out. You know, it's, it's spontaneous and you're least expecting. Well, it, it, it's one of those things where, again, um, anybody that's ever worked in this field for any length of time realizes that the chances, sometimes you're lucky. I'm not going to say there's people sometimes that go there the first time, the first occasion, and they actually experience something. That, that happens. But sometimes as a matter of fact i say in a lot of these just let's say on a historical site i say usually the the best people that have actual true experiences are either the docents or the tour guides or the people that go there day after day for an extended period of time yeah they are the ones that really truly have a long list of stories uh if they haven't seen it they've heard it you know sensations because it could go you could go days sometimes and months and nothing really happens and yeah. then something does, or sometimes things happen very early, uh, I, or very late. It's almost like whatever is there is shying away from a lot of human traffic. Yeah, uh, and it's almost like wants to disappear, for lack of a better word, while a bunch of people are running around trying to capture evidence or just walking around, even if it's a tour. Uh, going back to some of these shows, that it's almost like. Yeah, I'm not going to say they don't capture stuff, but uh, sometimes it's like you're, they're too lucky as far as being able to capture as much as they do the one time or the days that they're there. It's just doesn't well, exactly. work that way. 
and and it's it's hard too when you know if if you've been on on, on like a television set or a film shoot or whatever and you've got lights and you have equipment and you have this sure. and you, have, you know it's not like um you know like the security guard who's sitting alone and after hours in these places and it's dead quiet and nobody's yes. around and they can be very observant um you're far more likely after the lights go down and people go away if you're by yourself Yes. maybe footsteps that are disembodied or mm-hmm. sound or see something out of your corner of your eye that turns around to be something you can't explain whereas in a crowd I and mean, it could be happening in the crowd but we just we are we're distracted we wouldn't know because there's just too much else going on we're not in tune in that sort of zone i find when i've had sort of psychic intuitions or experiences or i have seen apparitions before um, if I'm in a sort of mental zone that I wouldn't say normally be if I'm just doing my daily grocery shopping or whatever, where I'm sort of in that forefront of mind and consciousness, yeah. where I'm concentrating in this physical world in my day-to-day business versus sort of being in a, in a location that has that ambiance and I'm sort of in tune with it. When I am, that's when I find that I have something happen versus you know, everyday sort of life, or even trying. When I, I've been on many ghost vigils, and, and just the idea and the excitement of being somewhere haunted and that. And then it's always, like I said, it's it's, it's at the end of the vigil when equipment's being packed away and you're joking around, saying, "Oh, we not great to be here," blah blah blah, yeah. something or whatever. And then something happens, and you're like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> oh, let me tell you something. I, I, I've been on investigations where you know, you know, we don't. I would say, you know, let's let's meet at the you know, there's a, you know, when we were coming in here, you know, there's a gas station in the corner. You no, know, let's not talk here in front of the, the client's house. You know, they don't, a lot of time people don't want anybody to know that they're doing this. So I would oh, say, you know, or, you know, there's a Burger King, let's just be in the park, whatever. And we would do like a real quick, you know, meeting there. It's like, hey, what did you think? Whatever. You know, this was before you had a chance to look at any of the stuff. And you wouldn't be surprised when we would be standing around there how many times we would get weird stuff happening around us right after, like I said, it was usually a short distance away from where we had been at. And it was, I was the first one that I would sage down my car because I didn't want to hitchhikers. And I tell them, you know, a lot of times, you know, everybody's always thinking about if, let's say, if there was any type of entity or anything there to begin with, whatever, let's, let's, uh, I go, sometimes the very act that you've got a group of people, some of them possibly sensitive, that you're out there either trying to do spirit communication or you're just there looking for it. You are going to bring in other entities which are not bound, but which are desperate to make communication somehow yes, to hang out. And yeah, sometimes it's like, yeah, or you might have got to a place that really does not have any type of paranormal activity, or if it is, it's residual. But you've basically some you've collected a couple of them that are like oh my god hey the, the, you know i think they can see us or hear us or they look they, they want to talk to us and a lot of times we had some really weird experiences uh right after we got out of there that we would look at each other like shadows we would see shadows hear stuff <laughs> uh we would hear depending especially if it was later at night uh, you know where everything is quieted down uh we would hear like a far off like you know, some people talking, but when you can't make out it, we'd look at each other and we'd look and there's nobody there. Like, okay, if you look around that bush where you would think just like, so what was it that you heard? And a lot of times we would be talking amongst ourselves and then 
we'd all quiet down like, hey, who, you know, who's, who are those people talking? Yeah. And then we'd look around and look everywhere. There's nobody around us. Oh, wow. That's, that you is know, chill. and That's, it's like, me a chill. I've actually just listening to you. I've gotten a little chill from you. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I have experiences like that as well with um, the two ladies that I investigated a, a ghost road. It was a spook lights, but we did have many other sort of strange experiences on that ghost road, including things like that. Like, you know, when we were talking about footballs and in the distance, the sort of lights that um, were not the spook light, but something else or or they, you know, hearing whispering or things that just really were, you, you kind of know that it doesn't do something else. It's otherworldly. It's not a, this sort of normal reality, day-to-day reality we're living in. It's something else. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. this is, yeah, this is, um, and, and, uh, and, and I, that's one of the things that I, I want to say that a lot of times they really don't identify a lot in some of these shows, which is, where you do sometimes have interaction from entities or discarnates, which have nothing whatsoever to do with the place they're at. <laughs> nothing. They're just yeah. so desperate for acknowledgement or communication or whatever that yeah. they just show up like, yeah, here I am, you know. Um, That's the thing, right? If you look so far into the abyss, that you'll start looking back at you. Yes. And it, it may not be what you're expecting. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Something completely different. So that's a thing too. Like um, one of the things I do because it's part of my own spirituality now is I try to do the cleansing of myself. I try to ground myself um, after doing these types of studies into the studying them and try to take many breaks so that I'm just not fully becoming obsessed into them. Um, I think that's important as well. Uh, you know, for people that are, are pursuing these things, it's, it's to take those breaks away from it because if you get too involved, like you yes. said, you don't know. Yes. Right. And, Some of them. And a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. This work, if, if you get into this, like I said, even if you go to a place that when you get there, like I said, there's nothing there. There just isn't, you know, it's either they've got an animal trap, the wind, the vent, whatever. It's like, we don't even have residual. I tell, and I told everybody, and, and, you know, I've been doing this for a really long time. Um, I said, sometimes I knew when I was going to get a case. Why? I had a, um, I had my office in like an, I had, a, I had like a, a detached garage, which I had converted to like an office. And one of the windows was that frosted glass. A lot of times I would sit there, especially later on, because it was just quieter and I was working on stuff. And sometimes I would see shadows move back and forth. And by the way, the other side of this frosted glass was like a little, cement paveway I had. I had my trash cans there. In other words, nobody was walking around there. It wasn't on the street. It was towards the back side of my house. And I got to the point where I realized if I saw a couple of shadows flicking back and forth, I knew that within the most a week, uh, we were going to get contacted for a case. And as a matter of fact, that was my first tip off that there was something there having to do as far as an intelligent haunting with that case in other words it doesn't work on that straight time linear stuff that we're so uh, accustomed to um, yes it's precognitive almost yes and this, this yes. happens to ufos as well yes. um and, and historical ufos like i immediately started thinking about the swedish rockets case where people were describing these rockets as ufos uh, a few years before the rockets were actually invented and operational 
it's the same with sort of the airships, the airships that people were describing in Texas and that uh, okay. were where the actual airships were flying. So it's, it's almost as if there's a precognition, like a non-linear sort of uh, time frame. And it, it is the same, I think, with ghosts as well. Uh, it's not bound. They are not bound by uh, the same uh, space time that we are. Right. Yeah. The way we look at it that, you know, like the hours, days, whatever, and one day follows the other. It's like sometimes they, especially, you know, in another dimension, yeah. we're thinking, I mean, this is all like we have. I have no idea. But yeah, the, 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 a lot of things like that. And you're absolutely right. When you do this type of work, you have got to have very strong boundaries between that work and your regular life because of not you can run into some real big problems more than sometimes people suspect, especially in this age of reality TV where everybody's like, oh my God, that's, that's so exciting. And it's like, yeah, it is sometimes, but you got to be really careful at the same time. Yes, exactly. And it, and it is that, that thrill that is, is, I think, what drives a lot of us because it is, it is, it is fun. It is, it is fascinating. Yes. But at the same time, if you make it your entire being, then people do start, it starts to break down people's psyche. People yes. getting divorced. People oh, yes. People lose their jobs. They go on to confirm to, to cults or whatever. But I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's important, I think, that people realize that, that they they need to reorient themselves. To yes. Around. I, I like to turn around away from, you know, and I, I usually know when I'm starting to get to a certain point in my life. I just walk away and I have to go shopping for shoes or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, when the tell going gets tough, the tough goes shopping. Let me yes. tell you something. That, that's you a great. You have to be a normal person, right? You have to be a normal person. Oh, absolutely. And I tell her, you know, and I say, you know, because of course, I mean, you know, cultures, everybody has a different. Say, but a lot of the old, these sometimes, and some cultures still have it. You know, when somebody died, and I go, there's a reason for it, where number, either one, they you were prohibited from speaking about that person for x amount of time or mentioning their name they would yeah. uh burn their things i mean and if you look at it basically they were ghost busting they were yeah. afraid of this ghost of this family member coming back so they you know you couldn't even talk about that person you couldn't keep any of their belongings uh this was and and it, what they were trying to do was in case you decide to come back we're going to try very hard for you not to come back. Yes. Sort of. okay. And that's kind of the, the, the thing with Feng Shui, too. It's like, you know, if you're moving into a home and you suspect it's haunted, you may want to put the bed in the non-logical position in the room or not where it would have been for traditionally or, or move chairs about or whatever um, because you want to sort of disorient the ghost or that that's sort yes. of line of thinking, you know, so... Right, which and is something to it. There is something to it. Right, and and, and I mean, and, and you know, we could go into you know why why would they bury criminals and hangings and gibbets at the crossroads so that the spirits of these murderers would not be able to follow anybody home? Besides the fact that you were being buried on unconsecrated ground, you know that back when that was allowed, that was like oh that's bad, you know. Uh, but yeah. the idea was not to have the spirit or the ghost of this murderer be able to follow anybody home and and i mean there's crossroads magic i mean there's a lot of reasons why you know whether it's accurate or not but yeah it's almost like like you said a way of tricking this spirit to kind of lose track of you 
Yeah, and well, then there's a lot of folklore too that, that shows ghosts appearing at crossroads, but also uh, actual UFO reports where UFOs appear at sort of a crossroads or these sort of liminal spaces between, say, like a river and a mountain or, or places like that that, you know, are, are in between. They're in between almost this world and another world. They're in an in-between space, like a window or a doorway or things right. like that, and stairways and hallways. You know, it's, it's not often you see them like as you know being reported as just sitting on the sofa. They're you know yes. they're usually somewhere in a very liminal space and in a in a liminal frame of mind. Like they, you know, the, the idea of um, you know renovations and stuff like that uh, provoking sort of those things in the houses in, in, in between states. So and that's why I recommended the trick for the paranormal. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. Absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 and that, that makes a lot of sense yeah. within anybody that's actually done this, worked yeah. in this. You, 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 you've come up, you come across that more than once where you go, God, it's like, man, who's having a laugh at my expense? Exactly. But anyway, Sue, I wanted to thank you so very much for spending this time tonight. It has been absolutely fascinating to speak to you. And for my podcast listeners, if you could give out your website address. Oh, absolutely. If people want to find me and they can sort of sneak through my little online cover here. My website is called Out of My Mind I. And uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> and it's supposed to be cheeky. And it is Susan St. Clair. So S-U-S-A-N-S-T-C-L-A-I-R dot com. And I have, uh, I have YouTube, I have a whole bunch of goodies and things that I'm working on. And stuff. So there's a little bit for everybody in there. From, Perfect. you know, magical studies to UFOs to pure psychology. Perfect. I, I will, I'll, I'll make sure to also include a link to directly to your website on the credits of the show. But again, thank you so very much. It has been absolutely fascinating to speak to you. Thank you. And have a good night. Good night. Take care. Bye-bye. So what do you think? What? Let me tell you something. See, this is why I like talking to people because there's, there's always that people have that different angle, that, 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 that trickster aspect. I'm going to get that book. I'm going to get that book. And I want to talk about it in another show once I read up on it because it, it resonates. It resonates. Like I said, when you've done this work for a while, and you've had enough experiences or stuff happens that, you know, when it happens once, you're like, oh, okay, well, um, you know, man, you kind of, <laughs> but when you start doing this a while and certain things happen and the timing on it is like, are you kidding me? You realize, okay, there's, this is not happenstance. This is not coincidentally that this didn't work out in my favor. Like they said, after I put together, put everything away or, or, uh, you know, I'm driving away. It's like there's too much of an intelligence, for lack of a better word, as to the timing on it. And it's almost like, ha, ha, ha. Exactly like what she said, like a trickster or somebody wanting to have the last laugh. Or uh, just when you're thinking, oh, you know what, there's nothing here. And I didn't pick up anything. Nobody even got even a goose pimple on their stuff. It's like, that's it. Nothing happened. Which, by the way, when you do this enough times, you know, that, that doesn't, that's not really an arbiter of no, nothing there. Because like I said, you could go sometimes and nothing happens. doesn't mean nothing's there. But let's say you go there and nothing happens. So you're, 
let's face it, we're human beings, so you're already going in the direction of like, hmm, okay, let's see. But anyway, but you don't have nothing to show for the time you spent there. No, no weird feelings, no difference in temperatures, no any nothing caught on cameras or film or uh, if you have any EVP. Sometimes you don't have time really to to review them while you're there, but still. Sometimes you go to places and, I mean, you go into the front door and it hits you like a... And then right after you've put everything away and you're ready to leave, I've had this experience where all of a sudden you're hearing footsteps upstairs and there's nobody upstairs. (laughs) And everybody like looks at each other and it's like, okay, you heard that. About the only thing you have is, did you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. I heard that too. And it's like, oh, oh. Nothing, you know, nothing at all. And sometimes this will coincide with what the people that are living there have described that's happened. Um, I mean, there's the same thing, like I had said, I've, you know, uh, usually when we had a team show up in separate cars, which a lot of people do, uh, you know, it's bad manners and really you, you didn't want to have a group of people standing outside the front of your house discussing what they thought was there or didn't so you know most of the time we would meet like at a nearby parking lot somewhere that we could just stop a minute and just kind of like talk about things that sometimes you just can't especially I would say about 80% of the investigations that I did the homeowners were there okay this is on residential investigations the homeowners were there and as a matter of fact we encouraged it you know, about the only times that we said, you know, if they had pets or anything, is like, can you take them out for maybe a few hours so that we don't get weird noises in here and really it's your pet. But besides that, um, or if there was really young children also, we would ask them if they could just like take them, you know, maybe with a grandparent or something for a little bit. So we encouraged the homeowners to be there. And like I said, uh, it's in bad manners to sit out some side of somebody's house and have this discussion. And basically, it's just you sit there and you go, "What did you think? What did you think? What happened to you?" And you know, and believe it or not, after during the three years, it wouldn't be the first time. A lot of times, you end uh, a lot of not all the time, but especially if it was on the weekend, or you would end up some of these things maybe 11 or 12, you know, let's say somebody worked, so they asked you to come by early because that's the only time they could be there, so you had to leave by the time it's been. Point being, also depending where we were at, it was pretty quiet when you rolled into some parking lot. There was hardly anybody around, so you just step out of your car and you would talk, and and by the way, some of, you develop some really good memories also when you work in a paranormal team along those lines, but you'd be surprised how many times we had really weird stuff happen to us right then and there. And uh, a lot of times it was stuff that was around us. And let me give you an example. We had times where we, where we had like a cacophony of dogs start howling out of nowhere there was no siren go off like no police no fire department you know that some dogs will start howling nothing like that all of a sudden these dogs start howling like and it's not like once twice and it's over it was like 
it's so much that you're talking everybody just stops and looks at each other like why are they howling why are they howling not barking howling like that what is going on and it was very disquieting as a matter of fact that happened to me like twice it's different investigations uh same thing like i said uh where all of a sudden you're hearing people talking and you're realizing wait a minute and you're like, man, or like is somebody over here? Almost like you're thinking is on the other side of that bush or the other side of the building. And there's nobody there. And it's conversation like what a lot of people describe where you can't exactly make out what's being said. And to be honest with you, at the beginning, when you're having a conversation in your group, you're not paying attention to that. You're like, and then all of a sudden, you know, when it intrudes on your reality, and you're like, who is that? You know, what? And then it's like, there's nothing there. And, uh, you know, every once in a while we would, we would have stuff shift around inside of cars, stuff that shouldn't have shifted, especially because the car is not moving. It's like spin stopped for quite a while, stuff shifting around and like equipment wise. Um, I've had people that have had like stuffed animals, uh, you know, when they were had that time of the beanie babies it was this one investigator, she had beanie babies in in her car. I don't know if she kept, I don't I think she kept some on her, you know, on her uh, dashboard. She got a couple of the Beanie Babies thrown around inside her vehicle when we had been talking maybe like 15 minutes. The car wasn't moving. It wasn't even turned on. She had no AC, nothing. And it was like, um, I remember that we were like all getting in our cars and all of a sudden she comes and she goes, you guys are going to believe this. And we're like, what? What? What is it? What is it? She goes, come here. And we're like, what? What? We were like, what, what is it? What is it? And she's like, look. And we're like, what? <laughs> she goes, those things were on my dashboard. There was something like she knew that they had been shifted. They had been moved. Uh, other times we have actually heard stuff from, out, you know, from outside the vehicle, stuff shifting and moving around inside vehicles. That's happened. Another time we did hear something plunk like inside somebody's trunk. Uh, like, in other words, that there's no plausible reason why you're going to hear that noise. Uh, and like I said, this is more audible because it's later at night. Everything is quiet. There's not that much traffic. There's not a bunch of people streaming around. It's just quieter. Uh, and the reason why I point this out is, number one, the trickster thing that she pointed out. And number two, that... When you do this, whether you're sensitive or not, which by the way, my theory is that along the line, you develop sensitivity, even if you don't have it, you are going to draw in entities and discarnates that have maybe no tie whatsoever to the location or the case that you are there for. And they are desperate to be acknowledged, to make communication, something. First of all, because you're reaching out. Number two, you might have more than one sensitive amongst you. Uh, a lot of times, depending on the circumstances, if you do have an active haunting at where you are at, they will hold back either because they're afraid or they're, something is there that just doesn't let them enter. So they kind of hang out around the car. Uh, like waiting for you to leave and then that when you stop then they and I I've said it before I would smudge down all my vehicles all my vehicles uh all the time trunk everything and everybody like oh Marlene it's like oh Marlene nothing because after a while when you work with different teams as some of us I spoke to enough investigators that would tell me I brought somebody home with me and 
I would say, well, just ignore it. And sure enough, if nine times out of ten, if they didn't engage it, it would go away. But yeah, stuff would start happening at the house. And sometimes it was just somebody that didn't want to. And, 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 you, and the, I want to say, this is where you tread a fine line as an investigator. Part of you wants to, you know, you think, what if this is somebody that's confused, a human soul that's lost, maybe it's not sure they're dead, just can't figure out why nobody talks to them, nobody seems to see them or hear them. Maybe they just need somebody to like push them in the right direction and tell them you're dead. You, you know, you always kind of have, at least me, on the bleeding heart when it comes to that. But based on my experience, you always have to be careful because once you, especially when it's something that's already come home with you, when you start engaging in any type of dialogue or communication, I hate to say it, and I know some people will say, nah, but yeah, it's almost like you're giving an invite. You're acknowledging, okay? The truth is, you really don't know what that entity is, who that entity is. You don't know, is it truly a human soul that's lost and confused and maybe needs a helping hand to find its way? Or is it something else? And once you open those lines of communication, even whatever your best intention might be to say to the soul, you're dead, be on your way, whatever, it could take on a life of its own. And you might have an entity that for some reason says, I want to stay here. Or it might be more malevolent than that. I mean, it, 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 it opens... It's, it's a big question mark and you know um, my experience with that was like ignore them and believe me it was a, times that I was tempted to like want to start a dialogue even if it's to tell them you're dead uh, but when it like I said I, I always had very very strict boundaries between my home my my space my sacred space my home whatever and any time that I did an investigation especially after I would come back I would come back, which is, I don't engage with you. I don't talk to you, even if I feel you around me. Because, whatever, I'm not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just ignore you. And believe it or not, that works. <laughs> that works. After two or three days, it just dissipates. It goes on its way. Whatever, whatever it was, and uh, that's that. So anyway, guys, I hope you like this show. I know I love speaking to Sue. Uh, again, I will have a link for her website on the credits of the show. Uh, make sure to go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. There you have links for the videos on the internet, on YouTube. You have links to listen or download the actual MP3 files for the podcast. I also have links to different podcast platforms, uh, depending you know, if you have iTunes, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio. I have a link there that will take you directly to where our shows are held on that platform. If you want to do that so you could download whatever podcast you want and, you know, listen to them, you know, at your, maybe you're going to be someplace where you don't have a Wi-Fi connection or something and you want to download those MP3 files, you can do it from MiamiGhostChronicles.com. 
Again, if you have a story, anything, an experience, contact me at Marlene at MyMigosChronicles.com. I also have a Submit Your Story tab there at MyMigosChronicles.com by all means. Uh, also, if you go to storiesofthesupernatural.info, I also have links there to the shows and the podcast. And uh, also, I'm going to be putting up more information about the, the book that I'm coming out with probably at the end of this year, which is 2018, uh, which is it's tentatively tentatively um, titled Supernatural Safety. And it's basically along the lines of what you should do, a DIY. And I, I'm going to throw in there some caveats when it's like, this is not a DIY, pro, you know, job. You know, and I'm sure all of you maybe have had that experience if you have uh, where, where you live at that, you know, there's some things that you could DIY and there's stuff that like don't, you know, you're either going to ruin the plumbing, you're going to electrocute yourself. You know, I'll make mention, but there's a lot of things that, that I tell people what to do to do as far as when moving from to a place what happens what if you suspect what if you pick up something and you know what you can do on your level before you need to bring in a paranormal team and I also kind of tell you when it is like it stop it stop it right there and get somebody in there to help you you know like uh but I'll tell you more about the book I'm working on it, so I'm one busy bee. So again, guys, thank you so very, very much for being part of my audience. I have a lot of excellent and fantastic and interesting guests lined up. So I hope you come back every week and we can share this time together. Take care. From earaches to strep tests, there's Minute Clinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit Minute Clinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks.